0: Of Scripture, it's from 1 John chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-seven. Um, I hope that if you come in person, um, that you can uh, bring a bring a Bible with you from week to week. And um, if you don't have one, we would love to get you one. It's good to be able to just learn where stuff is, and rather than that glowing Bible, right? We all have the glowing one, but it's so easy to be, um, become less familiar with Scripture when we're always using our phones. So I just want to encourage you get get a real Bible with pages in it it's such a wonderful sight to see um, to see that so um, if you're at home open up your Bibles and um, if I've guilted and shamed you enough for not having your Bible you can look up at the screen (laughs) Um, but there is no guilt intended of course but first John chapter 2 verses 18 through 27 reads this dear children this is the last hour and as you have heard And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such person, such a person, is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught, you remain in Him. Let's pray, Dear Heavenly Father. Um, maybe for some of us, a bewildering passage, maybe hard to understand. We thank you, though, that it is easy. Um, that there's a simple message that we might miss buried in some of what might seem to be more complex theological issues and this is the very simple message of this text jesus is the christ jesus is the christ oh god i pray that this morning we would learn more fully what that means and that it wouldn't just be a doctrinal statement that we can recite but that that statement would direct our hearts and lives our decisions our choices our vision. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, friends. You can all be seated. The last hour of human history begins with this, if you recall. So I always, I don't know if you know this, I'll let you in on a little secret about how I do things up here. I always print the sermon text in my sermon notes um, so I can get to them fast. But sometimes it slows me down because I want to actually go there in my Bible. 1 <laughs> John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. It's an incredible statement to make um, to consider ourselves that we are in what the Bible calls the last hour. We have one message and one hope. One proof that we have eternal life. One proof that we know that the Father is in us and we are in him. And it is bound up in the simple statement that scripture teaches right here. Jesus is the Christ. That is our creed. That is what makes us Christian. That is who we are. And it is what we commit our whole life to. In it is bound up the very essence of eternal life. That to to not proclaim or to not believe that Jesus is the Christ essentially means that we do not have eternal life. Jesus, friends, is the Christ. That means an angel is not the Christ. A prophet is not the Christ. You or I are not the Christ. Some enlightened pastor who's really good at preaching, he's not the Christ. Our accomplishments, our good deeds, those aren't Jesus either. Our morality. Only Jesus, only Jesus can save you. See, that's what Jesus is the Christ means. We'll get to it more as we continue. But only Jesus can save you. You say, save you from what? We'll get to that in a moment. Jesus alone is the Savior. So in our text this morning, we see a, a, a new section emerge from, so if you're kind of new to us, we've been going through a letter in the New Testament called 1 John, and we've been sort of passing through the, passing through it verse by verse. But So in this morning, uh, th- excuse me, in our text this morning, we have a new section emerge in John's letter. It's linked with words that we read last week. You remember what it said? The world as we know it is passing away. And he says th- Brothers, this is the last hour. The world is passing away. And he reminds us that the time as we know it, what we see around us is coming to a quick and speedy end. Now, for some of us, that might sound like really great news. Because we look around us and we see the times around us. We can't even drive to the next state anymore. <laughs> what a bummer that is. Right? Like, the, the difficulties in our culture and our world with politics and and rioting, and all of these different things that are, it seems like there's just this global pr- crisis. So, so for some of us, when we hear these words, it's a good reminder that it's coming to an end. That the misery of, our, of human existence, that the, our human existence can so often be accompanied by misery, is coming to an end. Brothers, it's the last hour, he says. In this final hour... He says it will be described with more difficulty and more challenge because one of the reasons, he says, we know it is the last hour is because Christian leaders will come with an anti-Christian message. And they'll say to you this, that Jesus is not the Christ. And consequently, the life of the gospel that the gospel provides is completely stripped away. So let's talk about this more, this last hour. We talked a little bit about already these antichrists who exist among us will deviate from life. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. Now, let me just stop right there and just acknowledge that this, for some of you, might sound a little strange. right? Like if you're not used to the Bible and you're not used to kind of like learning scripture through, this sounds like an HBO special. and It might, it might sound like why you think Christians are weird. <laughs> right? Like the antichrist, you're going to start talking about, you know, bulls with heads and horns and fire breathing out of their mouths. Like what's going on here, man? What, what church did I just walk into? Right? So, so I understand that if you're new to scripture, this might kind of be spooky or scary language. But just follow this because this is incredibly important. It says, many antichrists have come. And this is how we know that it's the last hour. We know it's the last hour because antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that they did not belong to us. So Jesus, or John rather, says that that this is the last hour, meaning that he was in what the Bible calls the last days, or the last period of time in human history. In the scriptures, the Bible talks about a progression of events that leads to the second coming of Christ. The Bible teaches that the earth as we know it, history as we know it, will eventually be over. So the way that we understand time and the world, it will come to an end. The Bible says that he'll roll up this universe like a scroll and throw it away, and create a new heaven and a new earth when Christ comes again. That's why previously it says, what you know now is passing away. It's coming to an end. So these last days that he refers to is the period of time right before the coming of Christ. What this means is that there is no other event in biblical prophecy that needs to occur before the coming of Christ. Now, this is important because there were other things that needed. So, for example, when Christ died for our our sins on the cross, before that event happened, Christ could not, that that was the next event before the end. But now that the cross of Christ has happened, we enter into what the Bible calls the last days. And that is the last period of time before Jesus comes and finally takes takes back this earth. Does that make sense? This is the teaching of Scripture. It's called the imminent. Or the at any moment's return of Christ, nothing else needs to occur in human history or or Bible prophecy before Christ comes, and it's called the last days. Now we read the last hour and we get this sense of like it's going to be fast. The last hour, an hour isn't very long, right? But this was two thousand years ago. It doesn't seem very quick, man. <laughs> right? Like I thought this this sort of implies that Jesus is coming quickly or soon, within maybe minutes or hours or days. No doubt, John meant that the last period of time before the return of Christ would be quick. Because Jesus could return at any moment, but again, he's not talking about so much the quickness or the timing, but rather describing a final countdown before Christ returns, a period, a segment of time and the sword of, sword of life that the Christian should lead as history inches toward the return of Jesus. What to expect, in other words, during this last hour. Early Christians called this the last days. Here it's referenced to as the last hour. And Peter reminds us not to measure quickness, by the way. Say, wow, you know, they said this 2,000 years ago. They said, brothers, it's the last hour. 2,000 years, that's a long hour. Right, two thousand years, but Peter reminds us do not count slowness or quickness like man does, for as for to God a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So the last days could have been a week, it could have been a hundred years, it could be a thousand or two. We don't know. We do know this. Brothers, it is the last hour, and Christ could return at any moment. This moment even. So we should be ready for the coming of Christ at every time. One person said, every hour is an hour of crisis. Every hour is an hour of crisis, because at any moment that trumpet could blast and Jesus could return. And what will we be found doing? Why does John make this claim? How does he know it's the last hour? Because he says many antichrists have come. The last hour will include a deviation from the pure gospel message, a lie which we'll, we'll define in a moment. There's something essential about who we are as Christians. And the church is bid to watch out for what we believe in our hearts and who we follow. So these deviant members are members of the church, according to John. They profess faith in the same Jesus that we did. We were baptized together. We broke bread together. But something happened. They changed what was the most important message of the gospel and made it an anti-gospel. The, in other words, the opposite of the gospel. The arctic, the antarctic, right? It's the op- the opposite end of the arctic. So the gospel, the anti-gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. They law lo- the, these people by the way, John John makes this very clear. They weren't saved and lost their salvation, as some might think. It says they were never of us, even when they were here, as with Judas. They had not remained true to the gospel, proved that they were never true to the gospel, that they had an ulterior motive or didn't fully understand what it was that they were saying. So they preach an anti-gospel message, which introduces a figure yet to be known, not an antichrist, but our, our passage calls him the antichrist. Dun, dun, dun. Enter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. On your right. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Proclaiming himself to be God friends Jesus is the Christ and he said no he's not I am Bible prophecy teaches that a singular figure will rise to power in human history this is I know debated about who he is and did he already live or not I'm not even going to get into that But a singular figure rises to power in human history and he demands to be worshipped. He sets himself up as God and he continues in this self-exalted position until in Revelation chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ dethrones him and takes the world back. John warns us right now not to be tempted with his lie. You see, because we, we might not know who the Antichrist is, but John says it, it sort of doesn't matter because many little Antichrists run around preaching the same message, preaching us the same lie, that we need to remember that it is not any human creature that is the Christ, but it's Jesus that's the Christ. So some rise up in the visible church and they abandon that profession that Jesus is the Christ and they give glory to, to and worship something else or someone else. And friends, our job as a church is not to keep the peace. It's not to be nice. It's not to agree to disagree. It is to hold up this creed with a firm determination. Only Jesus is the Christ. It is a non-negotiable question of faith. It is what we proclaim to each other, not as members of Refuge Church, but as members of the body of the universal church of Jesus Christ. We are such because we believe that we are not the Christ and you are not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ. Jesus and Jesus only. If that's not our message, if it's not who we are, we are not Christians. And the Bible says here, as hard as the, you know, these are tough words, but it says we deceive ourselves and we believe a lie and we don't have life so some leave with this anti-christian message how do we remain how how can we but you have an anointing from the holy one it says in verse 20 and all of you know the truth because of that anointing i do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth the one that is truly saved by grace through faith who holds on to this profession that Jesus is the Christ, the reason that we have that profession is because an external and objective power has anointed us so that we can have that profession. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. The one that is truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is only such because they have had an anointing power. Friends, if the mark of the Antichrist is that they do not remain true to the gospel, the mark of the child of God is that they do remain. And friends, the reason, according to the scripture, that we remain is because of the power of God on us. He has anointed us. The power to remain is by the anointing of the Holy One. So what does that mean? This this all sounds very strange. (laughs) If you're new sort of to Christianity and to the Bible, what do you mean by anointing? And it sounds very mystical, but what are you talking about? Okay, that's a good question. To believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior means that you have the abiding presence of of God the Spirit. That's what the anointing means. God the Holy Spirit abides in you, lives in you. Now, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not something that you see with your eyes or feel with your, with your, but the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you with his anointing, that your spiritual eyes are opened, that you profess because of those opened eyes that Jesus is the Christ. You have given light, in other words, in faith. That is the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. And consequently, because of it, he says, you know the truth. So, friends, insights into the gospel, to believing the gospel, it doesn't come through, like, whipping yourself or climbing high mountains. It's not through some guru or or from some heightened state of nirvana. The scripture says to have eternal life simply is to profess faith that Jesus is the Christ And when you profess that faith, it is because you've been anointed by the Spirit of God. To know this and to remain in it is to be anointed by God's Spirit. So that gives you hope that my weak, feeble will, though it can ebb and flow and change its mind constantly, if I am anointed by the Spirit of God, He holds it fast. He holds that faith sure and secure. John chapter 16 reads this about the Holy Spirit. It says, he will come to you and convict your heart of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin being your sin against the holy God. Righteousness being you being made right with God through Jesus who is the Christ. Right? It also says in John 16, or or excuse me, John chapter 10, my sheep, listen to... um, Oh, no, I'm sorry, I skipped one. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only reason we've believed it is because the Spirit anointed us and guided us to believe it. And John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, this anointing of the Spirit enables the heart to believe so that we remain believing. They know His voice, and they come because they know it. Now, if, if you're entirely confused right now, hopefully this verse will help you. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now, it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. Who makes us stand firm in Christ? God. is that interesting? It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, friends, to believe that Jesus is the Christ... Is is a gift from God's anointing to us. He anoints us, sets his seal of ownership on us, puts his Spirit in our hearts as deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And you say, "Oh, some of you are more theologically astute people, I know what you're, you're you're talking about doctrine now." And I don't like this. So who believes it? Do I believe because God chose me, or I chose God? We're getting into that now, right? Like that question. If any of any of you are familiar with that question. Did I choose God or did he choose me? Here's my answer every time. Yes. That's not an answer, right? But that's the Bible's answer. You choose God and he chooses you. That's confusing. and How do, how do I make sense of that? You don't. You've got to say yes to God. You've got to believe in him. You've got to trust him. You've got to remain in that truth. But the Bible also, likewise, right on the side of that says God does that for you. He does it, and you do it. I don't know how that works, but that's the truth. That's what Scripture says. The faith we have is a gift guarded by his deposit in us, his own spirit. The spirit from God affirms to us that his word is true, what is the heart of the gospel of life through Christ. And friends, this is the message, the anti-message, that we are to resist, to hold firm to what is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lie is this in verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is an antichrist, denying the Father and the Son, and no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son also has the Father. These are hard words. This is saying that in order for you to have eternal life, in other words, to go to heaven after you die, You have to trust that Jesus is your Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. That to not trust in that means, consequently, that you will be forever separated from God forever. Friends, in the original Greek, um, it reads more like a, a creed. The liars profess this. They say this. Jesus is not the Christ. John the Baptist said the exact opposite. You remember when people were asking him, who he was are you elijah are you this are you that he said you know what he said i am not the christ and that is the challenge for each and every one of us either jesus is or you are you say no i don't i don't think i am i've always believed that jesus is the savior right but do you it's easy to say it it's easy for it to roll off our tongue but do we live like it do we love him do we follow him? Do we trust that he's what we need to be made right with God? Or are we continually defining our purpose and meaning and significance on who we are and our accomplishments and achievements? You see, friends, believing that Jesus is the Christ isn't just words. It's a heart that trusts it. John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And I'm not even worthy to tie his shoe But what does this mean, that Jesus is the Christ? To believe that Jesus is the Christ means a few things. And you'll see this on the screen, I think. Say, so, okay, this is all, again, this is, this is kind of like religious language. What do you mean by Jesus is the Christ? Well, it means a few things. To say that Jesus, so Jesus is his human name, right, like Kyle. But Christ is a title, like president or pastor. Jesus is the, it's not his last name, Jesus Christ it's that kyle de it's jesus the christ it's his title so what does it mean that jesus is the christ this is all bound up in the teaching about who christ is in the old testament and complemented in the new the first thing that jesus being christ means is that it is to believe the promise god made in the old testament to save us from our sin by sending the messiah that's the hebrew word for christ messiah and christ are the same word it's just a a greek translation christ is a a greek translation of messiah right it's to believe that when god promised in the old testament to abraham and to many others to save israel to make them a great nation and to bless the nations to crush the head of the serpent right and to give life to fallen humanity that he would do this through a, a greater lamb a better sacrifice so to believe the promise God made to save us from our sin by sending Jesus, or the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, that he is the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of the world and make us right with our Father. You can read about this in Isaiah chapter 53 and Jeremiah chapter 33. That's Isaiah 53 and Jeremiah chapter 33. So the first thing that it means that Jesus is the Christ, it means that he is the promised Savior. So God is a promise keeper. He promised to save us by sending a Messiah and he did. And Jesus is that Messiah. But there's more to it than that. Secondly, it is to believe that Jesus is not just the promise to save us, but he actually is God in the flesh. The son of God. That's what the the title son of God means. So this isn't just a man. And this isn't just God. This is the God man. It is to believe, to say Jesus is the Christ, is to say he is the God-man. God in the flesh, the Son of God. The Son of God fulfilled the promise by taking on flesh. So it is to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 9 talks about the Christ like this. The Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 is called Mighty God. So whoever the Messiah would be, the Christ would be, to save us, would also be God himself. Okay? So he is the Savior, he is God in the flesh, but there's a third thing that he is. To say that Jesus is the Christ means that he is the ruler of heaven and earth. He is Lord. I'm not Lord. And that's what gets us a lot of times. Because so often Jesus is our Savior but he's not our Lord. And if he's not your Lord he is not Christ. You see you want him, we want him to save us but we want to keep being Lord. We want to keep writing our own rule book and doing what we want to do and it just doesn't matter. I want to I operate by my own will. You see, we're Lord. You see, some of us have this idea that jesus is savior but he's not lord he's both he is the christ that's the gospel you cannot take one and have the other and it makes sense how can he be one or the other how can you truly understand the problem of sin against god if you continue to be your own lord because if you're your own lord sin is not a sin against god sin is a sin against you does that make sense So the bad things that you do, they just make it hard for your life and they make it difficult for other people around you. So we grieve that, but we never grieve the fact that we've sinned against a holy God who is our Lord. So that's why David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. You see, he is Lord, friends. To to deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny his sonship, or his deity, that he is God in the flesh. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, it reads that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not is not from God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The implication here is that he existed as God, and he came as God into flesh, right? 2 John says this, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, is the deceiver and the antichrist. Anyone who does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So friends, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, is the eternal Word of God. He is God himself. Even at the end of 1 John chapter 5, it reads, His Son, it talks about, the, it says that we are in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Friends, to deny that Jesus is the the Christ is to deny that God kept his promise to send a Savior. It's to deny who he is, God in the flesh, but it's also to deny that he's Lord. But to say that he is the Christ is to say that God has kept his promise to send me a a Savior for my sin. That, That promise came in the form of God in the flesh, And he is my Lord and he is the Lord of all. You see, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what it means to say Jesus is the Christ. And friends, to say that Jesus is not the Christ is to rip out the heart of the gospel. It's to claim that something else can save me. You see, our lords are what really save us. We can say Jesus is saving us, but if we have another lord, really the reason that that's our lord is because we're depending on that thing to save us. Becoming our own saving power. It says in verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist proclaiming himself to be God, to be Lord. Friends, who is your Christ? Who is the Christ to you? And I just want to close you with an encouragement, okay? See what time it is here. All right. My watch says I have seven seconds. It's going to take a little longer than that. Not much. To have Christ is to have the Father. To deny Jesus is to deny the Father. And it's to be lost forever, to have no share in His love. Don't let that be you, friends. Our scripture says, remain remain jesus is the christ it is only through the son and his death that we have life in the father come to christ friends you say i already have done this i did this 15 years ago i got saved well do it again do it every day come to christ as your lord and savior live each day as you cannot live without him it's the confession that saves and without that confession we walk in death So we're met with these words in verse 27, as for you, you don't be like these antichrists. You remain in the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Proclaim it to your death. Preach it to your heart every single day and see to it that it remains in you, that he is savior, that he is king, and that he is your God in the flesh. And if it remains in you, you remain in him and the Father and the Son remain in you too. And you have eternal life. That's life. That's life. Friends, you must remain. And it's not enough that you one time had a religious experience some years ago. Every day your heart needs to cry out, oh Lord, you are the Christ. Remain in it. Each day let it be on your lips that he is the Christ. To remain in Christ is to have the present possession of eternal life. Isn't that great? It's to have eternal, it's to have the life you've always been after, but just didn't realize that you could only have in Jesus. John 3:36. whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Has it. Right now, you have it. That's how sure you are to wake up the second you die in the presence of, his, of your good King and Savior. Whoever believes in the Son has, right now, eternal life as your inheritance. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in him. John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. There's a story about a well-known... This is the last thing I'm going to say, okay? More than seven seconds, okay? There's a story about a well-known 19th century English pastor. Okay? One night, he's about to go to sleep. So this is 1800s. He's got his nightshirt and his little Uncle Scrooge hat on. Right? And he's about to go to bed, and all of a sudden, he hears a knock on his door. And who, who, who could this be in the middle of the night? So he goes to the door. It's pouring rain out. Standing there, this poor little girl begging him to come in, uh, begging him to come out and see his mother, who's dying. She's. bet my mother is about to die. Please, you've got to come. You've got to get her in, she says, meaning heaven. So he, he stops her at first. No, no way. This, his mother's pro- her mother's probably drunk. I don't know what's going on. It's pouring rain. So he says, go find the police, he says. She's not drunk. She's about to die. She's afraid that she'll be lost forever. You've got to go and see her. She wants to go to heaven, but she doesn't know how. So the pastor says, "Okay, where does she live?" The little girl tells her the neighborhood, and uh-oh, this is a violent neighborhood, and there's prostitutes in this neighborhood. I'm not gonna go gallivanting in the middle of the night with a little girl in this. Neck- I got got a rep, right? So he says, "Go to the rescue mission, find somebody from there." He's really trying to get this kid off her back, but she refuses. She says, "No, I said I would. I told my mother I'd get a real me- minister to get her in. She's dying. Come," she says. So he starts to feel ashamed of himself about this point. So he says, okay, let me get my galoshes if they had them back then. So he finds himself at this old house in that slum district, climbing a rickety stairway and following this long, dark hall to this bedroom. And the little girl says, I got the pastor. He'll get you in. Listen to him. And the dying, frail mother looked into this lost pastor's eyes. And she said, Can you do anything for a poor woman? I've been wicked my whole life. I've been a great sinner. And I'm about to die, but I want to be saved. What can I do? And this pastor did not know what to tell her because he didn't understand that Jesus is the Christ. Much of his life, he had told his congregation that the way that they could be saved is by living a life of character or having family or ethics or reformation. But he never preached the gospel that we're desperately lost and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. This poor woman had no character and there wasn't time for her reformation. So he's at a loss. What am I going to tell her? So he says this, you know what, I'm going to tell her what my mom told me when I was little. So he goes on to tell her, the Bible says, dear lady, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And more scripture starts to come into his head, scriptures that he had never personally believed or preached. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, 1 John 1 7. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And the woman with tears in her eyes replies with joy, Does does it say, does it really say all that? That ought to get me in, she said. All my sin is cleansed by Christ? Surely that's my hope and that's my anchor. Even if the chief of sinners can get in, certainly I can too. And that day, this man was there to get a dying old woman in, but got himself in too. A message that he had never known, this moralistic, cold, frozen old pastor knelt by her bed, and he was saved. And for the rest of his life, preached, Jesus is the Christ. I hope that you will too. Friends, if you don't know Christ this morning, that's the message. He's the Christ. Come and get him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that for you seven seconds is as seven minutes and seven minutes as seven seconds (laughs) we thank you god that you are patient with us and that you love us god if there's anyone in watching online or even in this room this morning that didn't really know what to expect out of coming to a gathering in the climate of the world that we live in where it's difficult to know where can we even go can I drive here or there and you know, here we, here we find ourselves in this place hearing the simple message Jesus is the Christ God there is this is our last hour and the message of the world all around us is that he is not that there is no such thing and sometimes even in the church we claim to believe that message but we live as if it's not true Oh friend if you're here this morning and you're and you're calling out to Jesus for the first time that he is the would I just I just ask you to do that in the silence of your heart say Jesus God almighty you are the Christ you're the promised savior of my sin you're God in the flesh and you are the Lord of heaven and earth turn from your sin friend and grasp onto the old rugged cross for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself but of the gift of God if that's you I want to call I want to invite you right now to not just have that idea but I want you to do business with your God right now call out to him in prayer save me Jesus you are the Christ be my Christ save me Oh, and if that's you, I I just encourage you, share that news, confess that with this pastor that stands here, and I'll humbly listen to your story. God, we thank you for the rest of us. Let the the same message be on our lips too, that you are the Christ. God, we love you, and we ask that you bless the, the, the rest of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.